In the Gospel of Matthew, there are five teaching sections, and the fourth one comes in Matthew chapter 18, which will be our sermon passage this morning, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. And Matthew 18 begins this way. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Become like children. I don't know about you, but that sounds a little backwards to me. Uh, The more that we grow, the more that we mature in Christ, uh, the more we become like a child, uh, recognizing that every single second of the day we are in need of God's grace. We are completely dependent upon God for our daily sustenance, for our very salvation. As we grow older, we grow younger in the kingdom of God. I appreciate that song that we just sang together because you have that image there of the child that is reaching up to the Father for for grace and for mercy, and God supplies it abundantly. Uh, But the question for us to wrestle with this morning is, to what end? Uh, What is this grace for? Is it just for me? Is it just for us? Well, as we read in Scripture, really from the beginning to the end, we see that God has rescued us, God has saved us for a purpose, for a mission in this world. And a big part of this mission is the way that we treat one another here in the church. We are a kingdom community. We are put on display for the world to see, which is why Jesus spends so much time with his disciples talking about life in community and relationships In the church, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about what does it mean to love one another, even and especially when it's hard to love one another. Uh, So as a as a gathered group of people, we we lock arms and we rub elbows with one another. And when we rub elbows with one another, we well, there's the opportunity to rub each other the wrong way. Uh, So what do we do when there's an offense between Christians? Well, our culture right now is trying to tell us that whenever someone offends you, that is the time to disengage. That's the time to build up a wall. That's the time to retreat into your echo chamber and cancel out that other voice. Well, that's not the way of the kingdom of God with our brothers and sisters. And so Jesus spends a lot of time talking about community And he gives this parable in Matthew chapter 18 about forgiveness, which is really commentary on the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. So over the last several weeks, we've been working through the Lord's Prayer one line at a time, uh, thinking about how this prayer is connected to worship, thinking about how this prayer shapes not only our prayers, but really our very lives and the way that we conduct ourselves and the way that we see the world. And the theological center of this prayer is this fourth petition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And I know it's the theological center because Jesus offers some commentary on this particular line. Uh, So he gives the prayer. And then I think Jesus knows that people are going to have some trouble with this particular line. So immediately in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says this. Hear this word. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But... If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't know about you, but I find that shocking. That's pretty straightforward. In the kingdom of God, there is a law. There are rules. And forgiveness is not an option. Well, this commentary on this fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer extends to Matthew chapter 18 in this this parable, this parable that starts out with a question from Peter. And this parable we read this morning in our Bible classes, but let's hear the Word of God again from Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 21. Hear the Word of God. And Peter came and said to him, Lord, if my brother or sister sins against me, and the word there used for brother is really inclusive of brother and sister, it's the church. Lord, if my brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, the Lord, which as Jeff Peterson taught us a few months ago, means boss, master, but we can't help but make the connections to God here. The Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into the prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
May God bless the reading and the hearing of this word. Michael Wilkins is now a retired New Testament professor. He was at Biola University. But at one point in his life, he was on a different track. Michael was in a prison. Not a prison with steel bars, but a prison of resentment and anger. Michael grew up in a broken home. His father left the family when Michael was in his early teens, and a new man entered into the picture, a stepfather who was broken himself. He did some terrible things to Michael and the family. He was abusive. When Michael graduated, he went and fought in Vietnam. And while he was there, his anger toward his stepfather was brought to a boiling point. He hated him. He obsessed over him. He made a vow that the next time he saw his stepfather, he would kill him. When he returned from Vietnam, Michael got married and he and his wife had a little girl and they started a new life together. And one day, out of the blue, someone knocked on the door. It was his stepfather. The man who had made Michael's life a kind of hell on earth in his formative years. His stepfather told Michael that he had tracked him down and he wanted to reconnect in that moment. And Michael invited him in and they sat in the living room and they exchanged some small talk. And then Michael saw his opportunity. And he looked at his stepfather and he said, I made a vow in Vietnam that the first time I saw you, I would kill you. Today is that day. I don't care what anyone says. True forgiveness is hard. And what Jesus asks of us, and really when you look at the text and being faithful to the text, what Jesus demands of us is that we forgive others their trespasses. Nothing could be more unnatural than to forgive someone who has wronged us. There's a textual debate in Matthew chapter 18, verse 22, when Peter asked Jesus if seven times is enough to forgive a brother or a sister who sinned against him. Uh, perhaps Peter is thinking of the number seven in symbolic terms. Uh, seven is the number of completion, the number of perfection. But even with this complete number, Peter is searching for a boundary for forgiveness, a line, a limit. And maybe this morning we join in with Peter. Surely there is a limit to our forgiveness. But Jesus answers him with a number that's different depending on your translations. Some translations say, not seven times, Peter, but seven times, seventy times. Some other translations say, or the one I read, not seven times, Peter, but seventy-seven times. Well, which is it? 490 times or 77 times? Well, the point is there. The forgiveness is a huge number. It's almost impossible when you think about it. I opt for the smaller number, not because I want to forgive less, not because I want to place a limit on forgiveness, but I believe Jesus is drawing upon a poem from Genesis chapter 4, a speech that Lamech gives his two wives. 
a speech that I don't think you'll find on any Hallmark greeting cards. And young men, if you are courting someone, I would advise you to stay away from Lamech's poem. I'll read it for you. Genesis 4, verse 3. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zila, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. It's a poem of escalating violence and escalating vengeance from sevenfold to seventy-sevenfold. But this poem speaks to really how the kingdom of this world operates. There is a poison that starts in the heart when resentment, resentment sets in and envy and anger at an offense and it spreads like gangrene. And it affects nations and it overwhelms individuals. Now this thirst for vengeance can come from a good place. It's what N.T. Wright calls an echo or a broken signpost. Uh, we as human beings, we have this thirst, we have this yearning for justice. When we have been wronged, we want things to be set right. When someone has harmed us or offended us, we want them to know that they did this. We want them to suffer the consequences for what they have done to us. And when the powers that be can't give us our justice, well, we want to take measures into our own hands, including, and maybe even especially, withholding forgiveness. There's something cathartic in the short term about withholding forgiveness. Withholding forgiveness helps us get even with someone. It gives us power over someone who's wronged us. And revenge feels good in the short term. You remember the story of Immaculate that I told back in the fall. The young woman in Rwanda who was stuck in a three by four foot bathroom with seven other women for 90 days. She was a Tutsi and she was being hunted down by the Hutus who slaughtered over 600,000 people in 100 days. And when she came out of hiding, she found out that her family and friends had been slaughtered and she had a hard time forgiving. Uh, she tried. She even said the Lord's Prayer daily, but she left out that one line. She wouldn't say it. Father, forgive them their trespasses. Forgive me your tres my trespasses as you forgive. As forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I should have worked on that. She refused to say that fourth petition because she didn't want to lie because forgiveness is hard. There's one thing that we know even if we don't want to admit it but when we withhold forgiveness from others when we hold that bitterness and that anger and that resentment deep in our hearts, it's going to come out someplace, it's going to come out some way, it's going to come out somehow. It can come out in our relationships. It can even come out physically. One of the things that we're discovering about the brain, well, we're, we already know this, the brain is extraordinary, but 
We can literally make ourselves sick whenever we hold that bitterness and lock it deep into our hearts. It comes out. It comes out physically. And when we refuse to forgive, when we refuse to release others from that prison of guilt, what we're doing is we're placing ourselves behind bars. Which is why this parable of Jesus is so important for the church to hear. Because God knows how dangerous it is, how dangerous the poison of resentment and vengeance is, not only to the individual person, but also to the community. Think about a community that does not forgive. Uh, We're seeing this in real time in our society. But think about a church that is given over to resentment. Think about what that looks like for our witness. A church that refused to forgive is a church that hides their light under a bushel. Now, there are a lot of things going on in this parable. It's a hard word to hear. It's sobering. It's a warning. No doubt we need to hear this parable on that level. The unmerciful servant will not be shown mercy. A reversal of the beatitude in Matthew chapter 5. But at the same time, there's this tremendous word of grace found within this parable because essentially what Jesus is doing for Peter and what Jesus is doing for the disciples who are listening in and really what Jesus is doing for us today here at Brentwood Oaks is he's taking us on a journey. He's taking us on a journey to the foot of the cross because being able to forgive others of their trespasses and their debts and their sins begins at the foot of the cross. Some of you worked through this in our Bible classes this morning, but the amount of money that that first slave owed the king was absurdly large. 10,000 talents. Uh, One commentator said that was equivalent to about $2.5 billion. You think of like a little child coming up with some astronomical number. That's how much this slave owed. Compared to the second servant who owed about $4,000, $4,000 is not insignificant, but it certainly is insignificant compared to the $2.5 billion. And, of course, the spiritual dimension of this parable cannot be lost, that the debt that we owe God for our very lives and for eternal life and for our salvation is incalculable. And the command to forgive others their debts doesn't arrive to us out of a vacuum. It begins with our own forgiveness story. As we come to the foot of the cross, we come on an even plane with everyone else. Because all of us have something. All of us have the stain. All of us have wallowed in the muck of sin. And every last one of us is completely dependent upon the mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only when we take a journey to the foot of the cross where we come to the space where we're allowed to release that bitterness and release that anger, release that resentment, and put it on the one who absorbed it. Michael Wilkins carried that bitterness. He sat in the living room across from the monster who had hurt him in his childhood. 
He said, I made a vow in Vietnam that the first time I saw you, I would kill you. Today is that day. And of course, his stepfather was shocked, and he could see it in Michael's eyes that his stepson meant business. But there's one part of this story that I left out. Michael had come to Jesus since his time in Vietnam. Michael had come to the foot of the cross. Michael had encountered his own forgiveness story. And as he looked at his stepfather, he said this. He said, today is that day, but I now know that I am no better person than you. God has forgiven me. And if he's forgiven a sinner like me, I can forgive you. I'm not going to allow you to hurt my family again, so I'm not making this out of weakness. Rather, I forgive you because I have been forgiven. There are some people sitting in this room right now who have had some tragic things happen to them in their lives. The story about Michael resonates with you. You've been on the receiving end of some things that shouldn't have happened. You've been on the receiving end of injustice. And the pain and the wounds are very real. And to simply tell you, forgive and forget, can come across as unsympathetic, unempathetic, and certainly dismissive. But if you're struggling with forgiveness this morning, I want to invite you to the Lord's Prayer in this fourth petition. I want to invite you to the prayer from the lips of the one who said to his torturers, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want to invite you to that fourth petition that Immaculate could not say for a time until she could say it. And then it grabbed a hold of her. Because language is powerful. Language has the power to shape the way we see the world. Language has the capacity to change our thinking and to change our vision. And sometimes when we come across something that's hard, like forgiving someone who has wronged us, I think sometimes we have to talk ourselves into it. I think that's why Jesus gives us this petition in the Lord's Prayer because he knows that sometimes we need to talk ourselves into something that is hard for us to do. But for the sake of our souls, for the sake of our mission, it's something that we have to do. It might not happen overnight, but by God's grace you'll be able to answer his invitation to release that anger, to release that bitterness You were not made in Christ to carry that resentment. So this morning, I invite you to the foot of the cross, the place where there is forgiveness, the place where there is healing, the place where there is mercy. 
We're going to sing a song that says, Bring Christ, your broken life, so marred with sin. That's all of our story. But there's another part to that. He will create anew and make us whole again. And that wholeness, that shalom, is something that we taste, we see, we experience, but that's extended into our relationships with others, even our enemies. If you would like to respond this morning to the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified, the one who was risen, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.